we'll, we'll continue on. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for brothers and sisters in, in you and that we can come together because it is your spirit that unifies us as believers. It's the gospel that unifies us and that we can come together and we can grow and we can edify one another and we can uh, help one another and we can, we can um, function as a family uh, so that we all become better representatives of your son Jesus Christ in whatever sphere you put us in. And so we're just so very thankful for this time. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for our brothers and sisters who are here. We're thankful for our, all of our missionaries. And Father, we just ask that as we spend time in your word this morning, that we will be focused on what you have to teach us from this text. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention to Romans 1. We're going to start in verse 8. Allow me to read from verse 8 to verse 15. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayer, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually be encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may come, or that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. We are still in this introductory uh, part of Paul's letter. Uh, one thing that you will find as you read through the epistles, particularly that of the Apostle Paul, he does not waste ink. And as a good communicator and as a good writer, he will let you know what the book is about, the themes, some of the things that he's going to talk about in this part where he's saying hi. So he's saying hi, and it's very purposeful. And so a lot of the things that he says here in verse 8 through 15, we're going to see again and again and again and again. And so in one sense, this is just an introduction to some of these concepts. So we kind of have like a big picture idea of what's going to be said. And then as we go through the book, there's going to be several things that we're talking about here that will be said again and we'll go into greater detail. I don't want to preach the book of Romans before we actually start preaching the book of Romans. So I, I want to, so if I am doing what sounds like a very quick helicopter view through this, there's a, there's a good reason, because we will see these themes again. It's just important to introduce these themes. But in this section, one of the things that becomes very clear is that the Apostle Paul has a real desire to, go, to meet with the Romans the church in Rome, to help them grow, right? To have spiritual growth. 
And one of the things that, that really I saw as I was reading this text was we need to be fostering spiritual growth amongst ourselves. And what does that look like? What are some of the things that we do to foster spiritual growth? And here, the apostle kind of lays out for us in a really good example of what that looks like for us to foster spiritual growth. By the way, that's what we're concerned about. Um, as much as I would love this church to be filled, we have parking lot problems and more and more people come, that would be, that would be a great secondary thing for me. But the primary focus is that we grow spiritually here, right? That, that's our primary focus. This, this setting right now is for us to grow spiritually, to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That is why we come together, for spiritual growth. And so if there was 10,000 or 10, the same things would be said with the same passion and the same, the same vigor. Why? Because the goal is spiritual growth, and that's what we want. We want spiritual growth. And so some of the times when we set our goals and we say our goal is spiritual growth, there's certain things that obviously our church does that other churches don't do, and you go, well, why doesn't Lewis and Clark do some of those things? Well, because our focus is for you to grow spiritually. Of course, we want lots of people to come, but we're not, we're not sitting at the door counting uh, how many people come in. And I'm very thankful for the leadership here because there are some churches where that's what happens. The pastor's job security is based upon how many people come through the door. I have seen churches where people stand outside with counters and the pastor's raise and the pastor's job was determined on whether there's a steady influx of people coming in. That is not our concern. Our concern is the right kind of growth and that starts with spiritual growth. And so, what do we do to, to foster this spiritual growth? Well, here Paul does three things. Really simple, not groundbreaking, but important to remember. The first thing that we're going to see in verses 8 through 10 is that there must be persistent prayer. Pers persistent prayer, but not just prayer uh, of like... Uh, there's things going on in so-and-so's life. Let's pray for them that they get better. That's important. But it, it appears to me that the Apostle Paul, when he's thinking of these believers, his, his first prayer request is for their spiritual growth. Those other requests are requests as well. But his focus is spiritual. His focus is so that they're Christ-like. We need to foster that, right? I think we do that, but we could do better, right? Then what we're going to see in verse 11 through 13 is this purposeful ministry. Paul's not a, it doesn't appear to me that Paul's just a fan of busy work, right? He's just going to show up to preach so he can pick up a, a speaker's fee. No, he, he's going for a very specific purpose. It's very intentional. His life is intentional. His goals are intentional. I think that's important for us to have a, a purposeful ministry. And then lastly, in verses 14 through 15, what we're going to see is that it also involves preaching the word, the gospel. One of the things that's really important is that we as believers constantly contemplate the gospel. I don't mean be evangelistic to believers, though there might be a time and place for that. What I'm talking about is that we learn what we're supposed to learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And one of those things that he's given us to contemplate 
is his grace, what he's done, what he's doing. And as we learn from that, we will become more and more like Jesus Christ. So, let's first look at this persistent prayer. If we're going to foster growth, we need to have persistent prayer. So notice what Paul says here in verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. This word here for first is kind of like he's getting ready to list something, right? First, second, third. But he does this very human thing. He'll say first, and then he'll start listing all those other things, and he doesn't say second or third. I remember one time I was in India, I was preaching, and I said, I have three points, and I said, my first point is this, and then as I continued to preach, I then just went on to my second point and my third point, and afterwards, it was a big brouhaha that they didn't know what the second and third point was. So, I, I get this, right? I, I completely understand what the Apostle Paul does here. He's very human. So he just says first. So this is something that he wants them to know. Okay, and then notice he says, I thank my God. Last week on the, on the live stream, uh, we, we talked a little bit about this verse. I talked about it and talked about the importance of when we are praying to first and foremost be thankful for the work of God in the life of our brothers and sisters around us. Man, that, that should be something that we are constantly saying about each other. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we, we who are in close contact to each other on a constant basis, we sometimes can be a little annoying to each other. Guess what? If you're constantly saying, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for the work you're doing in their life, guess what? Those people become less annoying. They don't stop being annoying. They become less annoying. And I become more and more thankful, and I become more and more appreciative of what God is doing. So notice, he says, I thank my God. This is speaking of his close relationship that he has with God. And notice that I thank my God through Jesus Christ. The, the only way that any one of us can approach God in prayer and in any type of relationship is through Jesus Christ exclusively. In fact, Paul is so convinced of this truth that we can only approach God exclusively through, through Jesus Christ that it then will lead to what we'll talk about, Lord willing, sometime in the future in verse 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would Paul not be ashamed of the gospel? Because it is exclusively the only way that man can relate to God, right? And so therefore, since it is the most relevant message, the most important message, there's no reason to be ashamed of it. There's no reason to think that my message of Jesus Christ is somehow secondary to anyone else's message. No, I'm not ashamed of it. This is the way that God has intended it. So God has intended that anytime we go, we have a relationship with him and we go to him in prayer, it has to be exclusively through Jesus Christ. And so as the Apostle Paul is looking at the Romans, whom he hasn't met to this point, he's thanking God because of this close relationship, because of the, the role of Jesus Christ, and then it's almost as if he's like using Jesus Christ as a lens, right? So I'm looking through Jesus Christ, through the gospel work, and I'm thankful for you. So I'm thankful for you based upon my relationship and the lens of the gospel. So, so it's looking at believers through the lens of the gospel saying, wow, look at what God has done in their life through Jesus Christ. 
That, that's what he's doing. So I'm, I'm thanking God through Jesus for you all. Now he gives a reason. He says, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So the Apostle Paul is persistent in praying for these people he's never met, but he's heard about them. Now, there's a lot of people that have spent a lot of time talking about how Paul has heard about these believers. If you're really interested, I could recommend a couple books that spend quite a few pages in ink discussing this. Uh, to me, for this, for the sermon and for the purposes of what we're doing, just know this, that in the ancient world, Rome was the center, right? Everything went to Rome. Everything went through Rome. So obviously, if there is a Roman church and they are standing up for the gospel, guess what? All roads lead to Rome, and all roads leave Rome. So a church, a group of believers in Rome, yeah, people are going to hear about this. And so he's hearing about their not only their personal faith that they have in Jesus, but their faithfulness. And notice the extent of their faithfulness. It's one of those things that as, as people go around and they're talking about the group of believers in Rome, the known world knows about their faithfulness to Jesus. Even though there hasn't been an apostle here, most likely this church was started at the day of Pentecost when there was people from Rome there who heard the gospel and then went back to Rome and, and, and started this church. Regardless of that, without the, the apostle, there's a church there and it's a vibrant church and it's a church that's faithful to Jesus and, and, and people are hearing about it. I'm always amazed when I hear about churches all around the world and you hear about certain things and you go, yeah, no, that's a faithful church. That's, that's a faithful church. That's, that's a faithful thing. I'm, I'm very thankful for them. And there are lots of people that we pray for as a church. We don't know their names. We don't know what their favorite food is. We don't know what their favorite color is, right? We don't know if they like to run or walk, but we do know that they're part of a church and we're very thankful for the work of God in their life. So part of this prayer that, that fosters spiritual growth begins with gratitude to God for the fellow brothers and sisters that God has placed around us, right? That's, where, that, that, that's important. That, that's, how, that's how we should be praying for one another. And, and that's only going to bolster the faith of everyone around us because we're thankful for what God's doing in their life. Now, notice what he then says in verse 9. He says, for God is my witness. The Apostle Paul says this quite a bit. And some of the reason he says this, at least in my opinion, is because the thing that he's getting ready to say may sound a little outlandish. And, and, and it's, it's the way of the Apostle Paul to say, trust me when I say this. What I'm about to say may sound a little outlandish, but this is true. And I want you to know that this is true. Uh, I, I want you to know this is my heart. I, I want you to know that I'm not lying. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to butter you up. This is my heart. So, so God is my witness because only God would know what the Apostle Paul is getting ready to say, right? Only God would know. And, and so what is he about ready to say? God is my witness. And then he has kind of this uh, parenthetical phrase. He says, whom I serve right? God, my witness. By the way, just, just in case you're confused of which God the Apostle Paul's talking about and his, his affection towards this God, he says, whom I serve. This word for serve is interesting. There's several words in, in the New Testament that 
God uses to describe this word service. Uh, you, you have some that refers to table waiting, right? That type of service. We get the English word deacon from. It's diakonos. This word here for service speaks more of a spiritual service. It speaks of a kind of like a priest as, as, he, as he serves his God in his temple. That's how this word was used. And so, so it speaks of a, a, of a service, of a dedication. It speaks of a certain particular lifestyle. And it's very religious in nature, right? It's very spiritual in nature. And so when Paul says, the God whom I serve, it, it's almost as if he sees himself that everything he's doing is in service to God. He is serving God because he is devoted to God. He is incredibly devoted, right? Now, this service, Paul's service obviously includes adoration, but this word here speaks of devotion, right? So he's devoted, and notice how he's devoted. I'm devoted with my spirit. This is a contrast uh, some, of the, some of the Jewish people that may be there and some of the Jewish influence who you have the Old Testament priests who they serve, right? They would, they would do this type of service, but theirs would be very physical, right? They would, they would do stuff in the temple. There would be sacrificing. There would be all this temple stuff. Here, Paul's saying, my service is a spiritual service. It's something that's not ritualistic, it's something that comes from my heart. I'm serving God from my heart. I'm serving God because I, I, I love him and I'm, I adore him and I'm devoted because, because of what he's done on the inside. And notice he says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, meaning that his service, his spiritual service is done within the sphere of the gospel. It's all gospel work. See, the apostle Paul, everything's gospel work whether he's dealing with a church or whether he's dealing with a non-believer. Guess what it is? It's gospel work. Well, what's that gospel? Well, we discussed that a couple weeks ago. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And that God has now offered a way that man can be right with God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. And we apprehend that on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone because of his grace alone, which, by the way, guess what? glorifies God alone, which is described to us in Scripture alone. Got it? God's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And so for him, everything is, is, is filtered through that. So when he's talking to believers, what's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. What's he talking about? The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the actual theological implications of that. So for him, it's all gospel work. So, so God, my witness, the one that I serve from my heart through the gospel, and he says that without ceasing, I mention you. Notice that persistence, that without ceasing, it's continual. I, man, I'm continually praying for you. This, this speaks of a habit, right? I, I habitually talk to God about you. I habitually go in prayer and, 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 and talk to him. If I had to evaluate my own spiritual life and say, what is the weakest aspect of Caleb's spiritual life? It's prayer. I, I, it's, I always struggle with prayer, always have, and I imagine I always will. It, it's just something that 
Sometimes it's great, and sometimes it just feels like it's pure will, right? I gotta pray, I gotta pray, and I pray. It's the thing that is easily forgotten in my life, right? I know that's my weakness, and, and I work on that. I pray a lot, but I could always pray more. Here, the Apostle Paul saying, man, unceasingly, I've been praying for you. Now, think of this. By this time, the Apostle Paul is already attached to several churches, several cities, several believers. We're, we're talking thousands and thousands of believers, and he is in constant prayer for all of those believers, and he's praying for them. What, 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 what's he talking about? What, what's, what's the request? Notice, verse 10, always in my prayer. You see that? I've been praying without ceasing, and it's always in my prayer, right? So it's a continual thing. You almost get the sense every time the Apostle Paul sits down to pray, he's got like this mental list of people he's got to pray for, and the Romans are on it. And he says, man, I, I've been praying, verse 10, asking that somehow by God's will, I may come, or I may now come at last and succeed in coming to you. So Paul has this desire to come and see the church in Rome, to meet them, to, 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 to encourage them. He, he, wants, he, he wants to go there. He, he's got some other plans that he has in his mind. But, but what's really important when you're looking at this is, yes, it is consistent, but notice what he's asking. Asking that somehow, so he doesn't necessarily know how this is going to happen, Right? somehow, and then notice this, by God's will. Paul's not going to force the issue. If God doesn't want Paul to go to Rome, Paul will not go to Rome. He will have the desire to go to Rome. That's a great desire. But if God doesn't open the door, give him the circumstances, lead him to going to Rome, Paul will not go. So his prayer is, God by your will, if it's possible for me to go to Rome. But I, I want to go there. I want to meet the believers. I want to encourage the believers. As I think about our prayer and our prayer life, this is something that we need to remember quite a bit. That the things that we're asking is always couched in the will of God, what God desires, right? That we're submissive to God and God's leading and God's plan. Sometimes when I pray, I catch myself, not all the time, but I catch myself and I, and I feel like sometimes when I go to God, it's like a grocery list, right? It's like, well, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening and you could deal with this, that'd be great. And if you could deal with that, that'd be great. And oh yeah, no, there's this issue over here. If you could deal with that and there's this person over here, there's this problem over here. God, here's all of my problems. I'm just throwing them up at you. And if you could do what I want, That'd be great. And sometimes I catch myself going, no, it's all a part of God's will, God's planning. There's, we have lots of desires, and there's lots of desires that are really good. They might not be part of God's will. Now, you're going to say, well, how do I determine God's will? Guess what? The book of Romans is going to teach us how to do that, right? It's going to teach us how to, how to be led by God, how to be led by the Spirit, how to be led by the Scriptures, so Paul's saying, man, I want to come. I want to see you. I'm, I'm constantly thankful for you. My prayer request is that I can come and meet you. There's this persistent prayer. So if we're going to foster spiritual growth in our lives and in our church, 
We need to be praying for one another. And it needs to be persistent. It needs to be thankful. It needs to be, have, have requests. Now, notice verse 11. Paul's now going to give the reason of why he wants to come. And, and, and it's to foster spiritual growth. And it's purposeful ministry. So notice in verse 11. For, this is the reason, it's purposeful. There's a purpose. It's intentional. He's not just going through life, just saying, well, if God opens a door, then I'll figure it out when I go through the door. No, no, no. It is very purposeful. There, there's, a, there's a definite plan. So notice what he says. For, I long to see you. I long to see I really want to see you. I really want to meet you. Now, Paul has plans to go all the way to Spain. And he's going to use Rome as a sending off point, as a jumping off point into Spain. But he also wants to see these believers that he's been hearing about. And what does he want to do when he meets the Roman believers? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. As you can tell, there's probably, you probably can just guess by reading this that there's a lot of different views of what is thought when Paul says, I want to come and impart spiritual gifts to you. And a lot of this has to do with just a really weird view that the modern American church has of spiritual gifts. So some people believe that the Apostle Paul wants to come to the church in Rome because they're without any spiritual gifts, and he's going to come and just, you get this, and you get that, and you get this, and you over there get that. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. I, that, that, that seems weird. It seems strange. Especially when you add the, in the word some. I want to impart some spiritual gifts. It implies, guess what? They already have some spiritual gifts. Here, I think the word spiritual gift, I think the word gift doesn't necessarily refer to that, that special ability that's given to the believer to edify the church. I think this is talking in a very general way. I want to come and I want to minister to you. I want to, I want to be a blessing to you. I, I, want to, I want to impart something spiritual to you because notice it's to encourage you. So this idea of spiritual gift here is this idea of coming and I want to enrich you. I, I, I want to come. I want to, I want to show you the glories of Christ. I want to, I want to revel in what Jesus has done for us, what the Spirit's doing. I, I want to come and I want to give you advice on how to figure out God's will. I want to come and impart something to you to help you so that you can remain faithful to Jesus Christ. That is his desire. That's what he wants to do. And notice the desires. I want to come to impart this so that you are strengthened. When we come to church, the service Anytime you walk into this building, anytime you deal with your brothers and sisters, it's got to be purposeful. We can't just be spectators. We can't just be reactionary. There has to be this purposeful intention when I am around other brothers and sisters, I am here to strengthen you. I'm here to strengthen you. So you're walking in going, how can I strengthen the person sitting inside of me? How can I strengthen the person sitting in front of me or behind me? How, how do I strengthen them? What are some of the things that I can say to them that strengthens them? What are some of the things I can do to encourage them? That's what he wants. He wants them to be strengthened, right? Now, the Apostle Paul isn't just thinking, I'm the great apostle, so I'm going to come. I'm going to 
I'm going to tell you what for, and that'll be it. I've come, I've spoken, it is enough. Notice what the Apostle Paul says next. He says, that is, or we could translate this, what I'm saying, what, 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 I'm, what I'm trying to say, what I mean is, so it's a clarification, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So the Apostle Paul wants to come and he wants to strengthen them by the glorious gospel. And his expectation as he comes is, what I mean is not just that I'm just going to come as the great apostle and just lavish out gifts and you'll be very thankful that the Apostle Paul came. No, I'm coming and hoping that we both will be mutually strengthened and encouraged and edified. And just in case you don't know what it means to be mutually edified, he adds in to emphasize to them, I'm thinking of you and me. This is going to be a two-way street. If you've ever done any ministry, you've done anything in ministry, you know it is a two-way street. Do not think that this is just simply a one-way street, that what I'm doing right now is a one-way street. I fully expect this mutual encouragement. You encourage me probably more than I encourage you. So there's this mutual encouragement, right? So we're coming together to be mutually encouraged, mutually edified. That's, that's his desire. That's the purpose. So then notice what he then says in verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far I've been prevented. He's been prevented. How? Well, circumstance, right? God, God leads us through circumstance. There's certain circumstances that, that kind of shows us which way God wants us to go. Uh, the, Paul, Paul, as he's reading the word and as he's, as he's thinking about his ministry and some of the work that has to be done, he realizes that it's probably not smart to not finish the work that he's doing in Asia Minor and then just all of a sudden jump into a new field so that he has two unfinished fields, right? It's likely that he's looking at the circumstance, looking at the work, looking at what God has in front of him, saying, I need to fulfill these opportunities before I go, okay? He's very sensitive to what God wants. But he says, look, yeah, I, I want to come to you, but I, but I want to come in order that I may reap some harvest among you as the rest of the Gentiles. Now, this, this, this idea of harvest it could be understood in two ways here. Okay, it could be understood that Paul wants to come to Rome and preach the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest. That's a given with the Apostle Paul. Everywhere he's going, he's sharing the gospel with non-believers. That's a given. But it seems to me here, in the way that he says it, because he says, uh, I want to have a harvest among you. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to believers, his desire is that the believers will grow and that this will be a fruitful ministry, that he'll be able to go in and encourage them and that they'll remain faithful for Jesus. And because of his work, it will foster this spiritual growth. That's what he's desiring among you. And guess what? Yeah, it's among you, just like the rest of the Gentiles. I don't care. I, I don't care. I'll encourage whoever's a believer. I don't care where they come from. I don't care who their mom is, who their dad is. I don't care what side of tracks they come up. I, I am the apostle to the Gentiles, and I want to 
come and have a fruitful ministry amongst all the Gentiles. So how does Paul plan on doing this? Well, then this leads us then to this last, this last thing where it's the preaching of the word. Notice what he says. He says, I am under obligation, this divine obligation, this, this divine calling, this divine calling of, of the gospel work. And, and I, I see this gospel work is very broad, right? Evangelism of non-believers and the edification of believers. That is his obligation to the Gentiles. But he says something that culturally, probably a lot of Romans would have been like, are you, sh- what? That? Because notice what he says next. This is shocking. This might not be shocking to us, but it's shocking. He says, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. The ancient world, the Romans, this is how they divvied up the world. You were either Greek, therefore awesome, civilized, you knew what you were talking about, you had the right form of government, you had the right type of representation, you had the right view about politics, you had the right view about economy, you had the right view about writing, and you had the right view about art. Your art's the best art. You, you just had this incredibly high brow, and you were, you were it. You were the pinnacle. If you were Roman, you're the pinnacle. And if you were not Roman, you were the other. You were the barbarian. You don't want to be a barbarian in Rome. That's a bad thing to be right? As I mentioned before, the word barbarian comes from a joke where they're making fun of them. It's, it's like they're saying those other people, all they do is they walk around going bar, 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 bar. Now you can draw your conclusions from what that means for somebody to walk around going bar, 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 bar. And guess what? You're probably right. You're probably right. It's not a, it's not a good term. Not a good term. So for the Apostle Paul to say to a group of Romans, I don't care. I'm coming to, 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 to have a fruitful ministry among you like the rest of the Gentiles, and I don't care whether they're Roman or they're not. To a Roman, this would have been like, what do you mean if they're not Roman? All that is Roman is good. You see what Paul's saying? His... his his standard of, of looking at ministry is not these strange lines of Greek and barbarian and these human constructions. It's, are you in Christ or are you not? And then that determines what he does. If you're in Christ, I'm going to encourage you. If you're not in Christ, I'm going to evangelize to you. Those are the only two categories he cares about. And as believers, those are the only categories we should care about. Are you in Christ? Or are you not in Christ? So he's under obligation. He's under this divine obligation. And it's to the wise and to the foolish. To those who know and those who don't know. So notice what he says. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. He's talking to Romans who are believers. I'm eager to come and preach the word to you. So how does Paul feel about the fostering ministry? Yeah, it's purposeful. He's been praying for them but it's also involving the proclamation of God's word and this reminder constantly of the gospel. And he says, I'm eager to come and preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, Paul, guess what? Guess what he's going to talk about for the rest of the book? This gospel. This is the end of the introduction. Next week, we get to start the book, right? 
We're going to talk about all of these things in greater detail. But when Paul's thinking about the gospel, he's thinking of it in the broad terms of how man is made right with God and how the unrighteous are now being righteous by the righteous one. And all that that means and all the implications. And he wants to come and he wants to share that with these Roman believers to foster spiritual growth. That's what we should be about. This, this is what we should be about. We should be about this stuff. Praying, yep, we should be about praying for each other, right? Corporately, individually, two people, three people, I don't care. If you come in two by two or seven by seven, I don't know. We should be praying, right? There needs to be purposeful ministry. I'm, I'm coming here to strengthen you, to edify you. Now, I'll be edified in the midst of it, but my goal is not for me to be edified. I'm not sitting back as a consumer, as a spiritual consumer going, what can this church do for me and cause me to grow? Nope, that's not how we're thinking about it. We're thinking about it, I'm here to come to minister. And, and, and what does it involve? It involves a constant eagerness to hear the word, a constant eagerness to think about the gospel. It talks, it's thinking about when we're talking to each other, everything is being said through the lens through the censorship of the gospel. Think of the gospel that way, as a censor. It censors what you say. It censors what you emphasize. It censors what you don't say, right? The gospel is that censor. It's that, it's that guard that, that, that catches all the stuff that shouldn't be said and lets through all the stuff that should be said. That's what the gospel should be when we're talking to one another. Now, there's another thing that happens when you're focused on the gospel. You start thinking about some of the ordinances that God gives as a church. And what's one of the ordinances that he gives? He gives the Lord's table. Well, wh why do we do the Lord's table? We don't do the Lord's table because you get something special from God. It's not like if you eat this special cracker and drink this special juice, all of a sudden God shoots you with grace and power. This is a time for us to remember what Jesus has done for us the, and what are the implications of that for our life. This is a time for us to say thank you. This is a time for us to remember. It's a time for us to contemplate our lives and to think about what should my life look like in light of the gospel. So as the musicians come forward and as Greg comes forward, uh, we're going to hand out the elements. We would ask that you would